You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Hey, if you're listening to this podcast because you're a big old school fan of WCW, Jim Crockett Promotions, and the NWA. Well, you have got to make plans to join us at StarCast 4 in Baltimore. Tickets are on sale now at StarCast.com, and it is a who's who of the good old days, including Jim Crockett. That's right. The Jim Crockett is going to be joining us live, as well as all your favorites, including your own Arn Anderson and some other names you haven't seen in a long time. How about Sting in the red, white, and blue, just like you wore at Great American Bash 1990, the great Muda. And so many other Hall of Famers like Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, and the list goes on and on and on. Lex Luger, Magnum TA. If you love the good old days, you're going to love StarCast 4. Make plans to join us in Baltimore. And just announced, Eric Bischoff will be there with a live microphone. Don't miss it. S-T-A-R-R-C-A-S-T dot com. StarCast dot com. That's going down November 8th and 9th in Baltimore. You don't want to miss it. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Arn this Tuesday and every Tuesday right here on Westwood One. Just type ARN in your search bar anywhere you enjoy podcasts, and you will hear from one of the all-time greats, the Hall of Famer, the founder of the Four Horsemen, the Enforcer himself, Double A, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? Good afternoon. I'm excited to uh, do this episode with you. We've got really good feedback so far. We started the thing off sort of taking you through the territory days in episode one. And that's how we got to Crockett in episode two was how we left Crockett to go to work for Vince McMahon and the WWF. And then last week we came back with something totally different. We talked about the first time that you wrestled on a big stage, maybe ever. And one of your very best friends, the nature boy, Ric Flair. And now this week we put you guys, the listener in the driver's seat. We're doing hashtag ask aren't anything, or as one of our very clever listeners suggested, we should say, ask Arnie thing. So there you go. Ask Arn anything. And, uh, I gotta say you, you, you've never done anything like this. Are you a little nervous when you see like 750 plus questions roll in? Well, through talking to you, I'm a little overwhelmed that we had that kind of response. So there had been some people itching with something to ask. So now's your chance. Ask away. Now is your chance. And now's your chance to pick up a shirt over at arnshirts.com. That's a R N shirts.com. Uh, we've been loading up the shirts over there and right now there's actually a sale going on. So check it out. Arnshirts.com. But we've got toot toot, which is maybe my favorite. We've got the classic show logo with the four fingers, a fun mask. that says super Olympia and even an AEW themed shirt with a R N and the rumor and innuendo is we've got another one coming that says, uh, every dog doesn't have his day. Check it out right now. Arnshirts.com. Uh, but without any further ado, let's get into it. Bad money. Slim friend of the show wants to know, hypothetically speaking, if you could pick anyone from any moment in time to fill the spot of Ric Flair and the four horsemen, who would it be? I can tell you beyond reproach. There isn't anybody. The mechanics and the just the total bonding and blending of having Ric Flair as the flagship of the Four Horsemen is part of what made it fly. And uh, he's irreplaceable in that spot or in that role. I know without even thinking about it, it would have been a whole different dynamic. Kurt Zamora wants to know after your description on the podcast of how your neck injury forced your retirement, uh, how is it these days taking a bump slash giving a spine buster nowadays, WrestleMania 17 and the all out run in were highlights on both shows. Uh, is that why you limit those type of spots? And is there a reason? Absolutely. And nothing is like it was. Uh, it's been, you know, I retired in 97 and you know, your body is one thing about wrestling. When you wrestle every day, your body becomes like calluses on your hand when you lift weights. Uh, 
then when you quit, those calluses heal up and soften up and you go back to normal. Even given a spine buster, is there's a pretty good jar to it. And it's not so good on your knees. Um, if you got a bad lower back, which I do, getting that spine buster started and getting the torque on it to make the revolution takes a little bit of an explosion there. That's what makes mine different, the pivot. Um, and you feel it. Yeah, I feel it. That's why I limit it and, and try to make it special. And there's only been three in the last 20 years. So I'm going to make them even more sporadic, I'm sure, and uh, try to make them special. William Robert Robinson wants to know, when you and Tully went to the WWF in 88, why were you put with Heenan? You were both great talkers. Did Vince just lack confidence in quote-unquote NWA guys? I don't think so. I think uh, Bobby Heenan was tremendous. And, you know, in as much as J.J. will always be my favorite manager and he'll always be part of the Four Horsemen as much as anybody, Bobby Heenan was over. He was quick-witted. He was he was all the things at that particular time. Bobby Heenan was awesome as a manager. He was over. The weasel thing would just completely take over the match sometimes, the chanting, weasel, weasel, weasel. And, at, you know, at that particular time, he had Haku in the family. He had Andre the Giant adding us, just, you know, told us where we were heading. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You know, you guys were uh... – positioned with Andre. So you're going to be uh, a part of some big stuff. And it's worth mentioning in that era. I think most of the bad guy acts, most of the, the heels had a bad guy manager, you know? So if you were a bad guy, you were probably managed by slick or Mr. Fuji or Jimmy Hart or, uh, Bobby, the brain Heenan. So I don't think it was that big a deal. All right, let's get to another question here. Adnan's reaction. Got any funny stories about your time with Steve Austin in Japan before he got his infamous FedEx letter from Eric Bischoff. Well, you know, Austin's a man's man. I knew that back then, you know, I used to call him Steve, Steve McQueen. He hunter, fisherman, football player, wrestler, you know, he could probably go out in the backyard and climb a tree with his teeth. You know, he could do any damn thing. (laughs) Um, And when we went to, we had that three-week tour, and right away almost, the first night or two, a couple of nights in, he tore his tricep. Well, most people would have just went home. That's it. Hey, I got a torn tricep. He never even mentioned going home. He toughed it out. He got through the three weeks. And, uh, you know, thank God we were in some tags and some six-mans so we could work around it. Um, But, man, you're talking about a beer drinker. Good Lord. Those rooms, once you left after the first week in Japan, you would leave Tokyo and you would go to the little towns. And the little towns, your hotel room was just about the size of a bathroom. You could barely get like a twin bed in there. So it was claustrophobic as it could possibly be. And first couple of nights, we tried to go to bed. Okay, man. Not drinking tonight. Forget it. We're gonna go to bed. We would get in our room, and I'm sure he did the exact same thing I did. There was no American TV. You're looking around a room that's about four by twelve, and man, it set in on you. And so we would come out of that room. We'd do about a double knockout out in the hall. I guess we better have a few. So we'd sit in the lobby and bullshit, play cards lie like hell to each other and do some serious drinking and it helped get you through that three weeks. Uh, but it was, thank God he was there, man. I would, I would have hate to have been there and been like either with just one of the American boys I didn't know or, or just the Japanese boys, you know, thank God Austin was there. Mike Enos was on that loop. Ron Simmons was on that loop. It was awesome. All right, let's get to another question here. Uh, this one comes to us from Dalton Burton. Great question here. When it came to ring psychology, who taught you the most? Um, I would say only first, you know, I just, 
I would marvel at what he would do and how believing it, you know, how believable it was and convincing. Um, Tully had a completely different style, but he was tremendous at, at sucking a guy in and getting a guy to chase him and set him up and use the ring ropes and use the posts and all those things as weapons as, as he was on his bicycle back paddling. I learned so much from those two guys and just watching Rick be Rick. I mean, he, you know, he had a style, he had his set things that he did that were so him and the people were so in tune of that's what they wanted to see. And he gave it to them and where he put it, those three guys were incredible. I mean, I learned from everyone I ever was in the ring with. Don't mistake me. It doesn't matter. I learned something if it's not what to do or how to get to something better or whatever the case may be. But I think I learned something from everybody because most people would bring something different to the ring with them every night. Let's talk a little bit about, um, Tully Blanchard. This is a fun question. I hope you can have fun with it. The senior writes in what kind of business was Tully Blanchard enterprises incorporated anyway, he would reference it all the time in his interviews. And I could never figure out what that business was as a kid. I think it was <laughs> some bullshit story. He fed baby doll to get her to drive all the time. <laughs> I don't know why, but that tickled me, but, uh, yeah, I didn't, I never saw any benefits. I'm sure she didn't have a 401k or any insurance. Uh, it was just his way of saying, Hey, you're part of the, of the gimmick here. And, uh, I want to take care of you, but my God, I don't know what he ever provided for her. I know she did a whole lot of driving. Uh, Anthony Esposito asked, would you ever consider opening a wrestling school? No, uh, because I don't have the time or the ability or the durability too old to get in there and actually teach. And if I was going to have a school, I would have to put my fingerprint on it and teach them some of the stuff that I've learned from all the people I've been in the ring with all the, over the years and, you know, if you're going to own a school, I think you need to, if you're going to take responsibility for those students and put them out there, you've got to put your name on it. So whatever knowledge they do or do not have is your responsibility. And uh, I just don't have the wherewithal to, to pull that off. Next up, we've got a question here from uh, James. He wants to know, what was the worst backstage real fight you ever saw? Hmm. There weren't that many. Thank God, because they immediately split the locker room. Um, Brian Blair and Matt Bourne in West Virginia, I want to say Charleston, got into a fight that started in the bar, got separated, started again in the lobby got separated, ended up in the parking lot, ended up with Matt Bourne getting about two inches of his bottom lip bitten off oh. by, by Brian Blair. Should have saw that. It was like a dinosaur bit his lip off. Um, and it got broke up out there. But I would say that fight went on, which anybody out there that's really been in a real fight – this thing went on for about 12, 13 minutes, oh my 14 gosh. minutes. That is a long fight. And I mean, they were pounding the piss out of each other. It was violent as anything I've ever seen. What year would you guess that is? Let's see. That would have to be 83. Wow. Do you remember what the issue was about? I do not probably just two guys drinking too much whiskey and one popped off and the other responded and here we went. I don't, I don't think it was probably anything earth shattering political or anything like that. It was just probably the boys being the boys. Andrew Campbell has a much more lighthearted question. 
What was the first time you saw the baby's arm? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Had to probably be the first time Rick came to Pensacola and was probably changing clothes or something. I probably just walked around the corner and went, Jesus Christ, who's the skinny three-legged man over there? <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting, but that did it. And, and if you'd like to be a three-legged man, you need bluechew.com. What are you waiting for? See what the wrestling world is talking about. Chew it and do it at bluechew.com right now. It has the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis, but because it's chewable, it works faster, even up to twice as fast. And you can take it on a full or an empty stomach. But maybe best of all, it's cheaper than those other two. You see, you get to skip the in-person doctor's visit, and instead, you just deal with a Bluetooth.com online physician. If you qualify, you'll be prescribed very quickly and very discreetly. It's going to show up to your door in discreet packaging. Can't beat that. And how about this? Your first order? Well, it's free. All you've got to do is pay $5 shipping when you use our promo code ARN. That's A-R-N. And, of course, it all starts at Bluetooth.com. And our people have been getting a kick out of you talking about blue chew every week, but this stuff's legit. Is it not? Well, yeah, it's more than legit. I mean, it's, it's outrageous sometimes. And if you got a fellow like the three-legged skinny guy, we were just talking about to where it's obnoxious, even to the point, you know, there's going to be those times where you're going to miss time your day and you want to go to the mall and the girlfriend's going to be you know, wearing you out about, hey, you know, you said you go to the mall, let's go. And you've got this epiphany stuck out in front of you. You know, <laughs> I, one one way you might want to get by that is just go ahead and put a saddle on it, and put a bridle on it, and head on through the mall. They'll just think you're riding a horse, you know. Who knows? <laughs> Bluetooth.com, see what it can do for you. It's Bluetooth.com. Use that promo code ARN, A-R-N. Uh, Anthony Valadez wants to know, did you ever live in Van Nuys, California? My next door neighbor looked just like you. If not, what was the favorite place you ever lived and why? Oh, that poor fella. They thought he looked like me. He might want to find a cliff to jump off of. Uh, my favorite place to live, I guess is Charlotte because it's home, but second place is Pensacola, Florida. Best kept secret in America. Most beautiful beaches you have ever seen. Everything is priced for a military town. So you can get a chunk of house for very, very reasonable. When the, when the water is blue green and that white sand, that's about a foot deep, just like sugar. It is as beautiful as any place in the Caribbean. It's a, it's, it's really wonderful, really wonderful beaches. Josh Powell wants to know what brand of sunglasses did Arn used to wear on TV? Carrera. There you go. Uh, Joe Lawson wants to know, what did you prefer the WCW version of the horseman or the dangerous Alliance? I actually preferred the Jim, Jim Crockett version of the horseman, which I think were unique and rare and special. Um, the dangerous alliance, when somebody really gets down to devoting some time to it and dissecting the members uh, of that group, I, I don't think it gets nearly enough credit as it should if you really think about who was in there. Anderson, Zabisco, Rick Rude, Steve Austin, Paulie Dangerously. Am I missing anybody? I mean, realistically, I've argued this on my other pods. If, if the horseman never existed, people would be talking about the dangerous Alliance as the greatest stable of all time. I think if you're looking at pure talent, good Lord, I don't see how you could go wrong with that. I mean, it was, you know, you Paul Lee, who was a tremendous stick man. God almighty. That, it's pretty heavy. If you look at that, Oh, Bobby Eaton, we left Bobby Eaton out. Yeah. And Medusa was oh. there occasionally. So, you know, you've got the female aspect, you got Paul Heyman, you got some of the best in-ring workers ever with Rick Rude, Arn Anderson, Steve Austin, Bobby Eaton. I mean, my goodness. I should have never left Medusa out. Sorry. If you're listening, 
I'm scared of her. Yeah. Well, she's probably got a, a few words for you at Starcast. She's going to be there too. But then again, everybody we're talking about today pretty much is. Uh, Mark Mizzou wants to know what was it like working with Baby Doll? She was a part of a lot of horseman angles. Oh, she was a good girl. Uh, anything you wanted, anything you needed, she was right there. You know, she was, uh, she was a player. She was, uh, came across beautiful on TV. Uh, she was right there for everything Teller needed her for. And, uh, she was just a pleasure to be around really a nice person. Hilarious question here from Brennan. You're going to need to listen closely to this one though. Would you rather fight one? Brock Lesnar sized hornswoggle or 10 hornswoggle sized Brock Lesnar's. Oh my God. That's, that's hard to even imagine. <laughs> 10 little Brock Lesnar's is hilarious. Would they all have to grab you at once to do an F five? <laughs> Would it be like the Gulliver, Gulliver's travels? Absolutely. Gimmick? That's what I was thinking. Gulliver's travels. That's awesome. Yeah, I think the I think the thought of ten little Brock Lesnar's really terrifies me, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm thinking I'd go with the one big hornswoggle. I'm, I think that's the only answer. Oh yeah, it, you know what? Can we include both? Can we say both of them are frightening? Yes, we can. We can go with uh, C. None of the above. We'll stick to podcasting. Let's just go yes to answer that question. Uh, Patrick cook wants to know how does Arn define the it factor of what separates a good performer from a bad performer, whether it's in the ring or on the microphone. And that's a challenging question. I'm sure because people talk about it. Hey, this guy has it, or she doesn't have it, but nobody can ever really put their finger on the intangible that, that makes up it, but you know it, when you see it, are there little things that you can identify and share with us as somebody who's lived it, that. Hey, if they do this, they're headed in the right direction. The ability to connect to the audience. I've always said, if you have two of the big three, you're going to be a superstar in this industry. You're either, if you can be a great worker, have a great look and be a great talker. Now, if you go, if you have all three, you're going to be a mega star. And we're talking about rock people of that nature in that class. But if you get two of the three, you're going to be a superstar. One of the three will probably keep you employed. If you got an incredible look, you know, but you can't perform and you can't really talk, you're going to get at least a try if you look good enough. If you can really talk, Back in the day, if you weren't a good enough performer, they might figure out a way to make you a manager. Um, but if you got all those things going for you, now you're talking about The Rock. Uh, two of those three, I would say Ricky Steamboat was, had a great look, was an incredible performer, was a good talker, wasn't a great one. That would put him in that in that niche, um, but the main thing is being able to even if you were just had a little slice of all three of the big three, the ability c- to connect with the audience is the most important thing. Now, how I define that, I don't know, but you figure out how to work with your opponent how to work with the referee, how to work with the audience. And when you put everybody in their proper perspective and the audience is able to follow the story that you're telling without a lot of trouble, your ability to connect becomes a lot easier. John Riga wants to know what's the favorite, what's your favorite match that you were an agent for? That's a good question. We've had lots of in-ring questions from you, but what about your favorite match that you agented? Wow. Um, God almighty. I don't know. I've had the opportunity to have some, some really good ones that the talent was just incredible. Um, I want to say 
one of the ones that stand out. I had a triple threat with Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and Chris Benoit. And I want to say it was WrestleMania 21, maybe? Uh, if it's Shawn, Triple H, and Benoit, that was the main event of WrestleMania 20 in MSG. Okay. I would think that's one of them. Um, well, that was good, Conrad. Did you, did you just pull that out of your hat? Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a silly Big Mark wrestling fan. What do you mean, sir? Damn, and sharp, too, as a tact. <laughs> um, you know, I don't. I, it would be impossible to just pick one out. I don't know. I've been very fortunate. And, and you know, the fact is it, it didn't have to – it didn't have to uh, main event WrestleMania to be a favorite. Just just maybe one where some guys maybe overachieved. Right. And, you know, went out there and had a better match than anybody expected. And, and coming through the curtain, you could just see their faces. And they went, God, that worked. Thank for, thanks for your help. That little thing you gave us really worked. That felt good. And when you get to see that out of the young guys – or the young or the young ladies, um, that's rewarding. The Dominator writes in, outside of Rick and Tully, who is your favorite tag partner? I'm going to take Ole out as well because I know Ole's got to be near the top of the list. So besides Rick, besides Tully, besides Ole, who else? I enjoyed uh, being partners with Bobby. Bobby quite a bit. Bobby Eaton, Larry was a lot of fun course larry and i would argue more than anything um but bobby eaton you got to go back to you know the same guy credible credible talent you didn't know how bobby how good he really was till you got in the ring with him and if you were wrestling him you really didn't know how good he was because he was just everywhere he needed to be at the right prop at right and proper time you didn't have to uh guide bobby you didn't have to do anything other than just Go for it, and Bobby would be right there with you. This is uh, one of the most debated topics of wrestling the last several years. Uh, it's another question from the Dominator. Who is on Arn's Mount Rushmore of wrestling? So there's four figures in wrestling you can pick, and they can be from any era, you know, living or not. But these are the all-time greats. This is our Mount Rushmore of wrestling. Who would you put? <laughs> Well, you'd be kind of foolish if you didn't put Hogan and Flair. Rick being the personality and that he was and is. And uh, just the time that he put in the ring, taking care of the business and being the caretaker of the business. Hogan was the first guy that got over to that degree that Anything with this picture on it was flying off the merchandise stands. I think Austin. Uh, now comes the debate for who the fourth guy would be. Wow, that's tough. It is. And this is why it's so heavily debated. You know, some fans say, oh, it's got to be The Rock. Others would say, well, look at what Cena's done. And others might go older and they'd say, well, Andre, the giant did it before anybody else. And, and then of course, if you grew up in the South, you probably have a spot on there for dusty Rhodes or Terry Funk. Correct. Everything you just said is 100% correct. That fourth one could be what will go debated maybe for another 20 years. And maybe somebody will rise to the occasion and become that fourth guy. I mean, there's right now, there's probably 10 guys you could name that could take that four spot. Ringside rant writes in what tag team today would have fit in the best of the 1980s wrestling scene. Oh, right off the top of my head revival. No question. Not just saying that because they pattern themselves after Tully and I, they're way better than we were. They're more athletic. Um, you know, they put a really cool twist, which is 2019 to their, to their matches. Those guys put a lot of thought. They make their opponents better than they are. 
in most cases, and that's a good thing. Not to say that some of the teams they work with are very, very good. They make them better than what they are, and uh, they study. Man, those guys, they know everything about the past history of the business, the current product, and they're thinking in terms of how do we go, you know, to 2020 and beyond. And uh, they're just real students, and I'm really high on those guys. Well, our next question comes to us from Dash Wilder. He writes, will you manage the revival? Well, they're not available. <laughs> they're not, they're not, it's not even possible to have that conversation. And as long as they're under contract to the WWE, that con that conversation can't even happen. So it is fun never, to, uh, fantasy book it, especially when you see half of the tag team writing the show to say, Hey, can Arn manage us? I mean, that, that would be super fun. I mean, if you had your druthers and obviously we're just fantasy booking here, none of this is even remotely possible. Would you rather, uh, do it on the studio wrestling NWA set or, uh, on AEW on TNT? I don't know. I haven't had a look at the, uh, Oh yeah, that's right. You haven't seen at the, the NWA. Yeah. Yeah. Can't make a, an intelligent conversation, uh, about that yet, but you know what? For years and years and years when he made it work, I tell you what, I, I, uh, defended that television title on TV 20 minutes, for a long time and many different times holding that championship. And, uh, once you get involved in the match, you don't give a crap that there's only 300 people there or whatever, you know, it'll hold. Uh, it doesn't seem like a small crowd. Let me put it, put it to you that way. So that wouldn't be a deciding factor. The fact that there's less people, um, don't know. I have to see, and uh, I'll get back to you. All right, Aaron, let's run a timeout right now to tell everybody about SaveWithConrad.com. And of course, you are a tag team specialist. Many a times you were looking for that hot tag. And if you're looking for the hot tag right now with maybe some credit card bills, some home remodeling projects, or it would just be nice to take a vacation from house payments, go to SaveWithConrad.com right now. Here's what we're talking about. We talk about vacation from house payments. You won't have to make your November or your December house payment. You're done until next year. And come next year, you're going to have a better mortgage. What we're going to do is twofold. We're going to find a way to get you lower monthly payments, even if it means we get rid of some of your high interest rate credit cards. We're going to get you a much better rate there and give you a greater tax break. But at the same time, we're going to cut years. That's right. You heard me years off of your home loan. If you're still paying on a 30 year loan, what are you waiting for? Now is the perfect time to take advantage of these historically low interest rates and get rid of your other debt to make life a whole heck of a lot easier. If you're serious about getting out of debt, you've got to go to SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And it's 10 minutes right now, fast and easy. If we can't save you some money, we won't waste your time. We're licensed in more, more than 40 states. So we're probably licensed where you are too. Find out how easy it is to save money at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Let's talk about the TV title. You and I have talked about that before. How did you, you know, as far as your career, how important was the TV title? If you tie it together and you go back and look at it in retrospective, uh, one of the questions I get asked all the time and I see pop up all the time is, are you that you're the greatest wrestler that was never the world champion? Well, that's a beautiful comment. And I'm very grateful to all those that, say it, feel it, have said it in the past. But I looked at it this way. I never looked at myself. I was a second fiddle to Rick, but not in a condescending way. We were, we were teammates. We were partners. He was the flagship of that unit. No doubt, no question, but the television title, what it allowed me now for a lot of guys, it would have been a burden because it meant sometimes at 9.30 in the morning on Saturday morning, you go in 20 minutes with a top guy. And uh, if we were doing two tapings for some reason, you would have two 20-minute matches. And uh, you had to be a workhorse and you had to have the right frame of mind because your job as the TV champion was to go out there and give them the 
best quality match you could with the last three minutes, your ass is in a sling and in danger of losing that television title. And I've seen more audiences really just get infuriated because I got beat right in the middle at the 20 minute, 30 second mark, which meant I stayed the champion, but they won the match right in the middle. It was a formula that always worked, but you had to be a workhorse. But the flip side was I was out there with a top guy getting all that TV time week after week, year after year. Fun times, man. Um, let's keep it moving here and let's, uh, ask another question that we got a lot. The man of the nineties is who I'll quote with this one has Arn ever thought about rewriting his autobiography. What was published before was largely written in kayfabe. Would he ever consider doing a more open book at this stage of his career and life? I wouldn't consider going back and redoing that one because apparently it chapped everybody's ass. So I'm happy about that. <laughs> a lot of people were insulted about that over the years. This is the only way that I can explain my slant on kayfabe or breaking kayfabe or over the years. <clears throat> if if I took my family to go to David Copperfield Magic Show, and I've got four of them there, including me, it's 300 bucks for tickets, and we sit there and enjoy that show, and they're doing stuff that I cannot figure out how they're doing it, and I am engrossed in this. We get to the finale, and the guy starts flying around the room, Still can't figure out how amazing that is. If some dipshit jumped up, flipped on a light, and said, hey, guys, right there's the wire, I would be out of my mind. I didn't want to flip on the light and show anybody the wire because I think a lot of fans want to go to the show, knowing it's a show, and have that one match that is so tight and so crisp and so physical and so non-see-through that as you're walking back to your car that night, you can have the conversation about every match, but everybody seems to want to talk about the one. You know, well, let me put it to you this way. I know it was all a show, but those two guys are mad at each other. They don't like each other. Those guys were really whacking each other. If you could pull that out of the audience, just the one match, you did your job. And that was what I always tried to do in my matches. And that's the reason, even though we're hearing from the heads of all of our companies that this is a performance, which it is, it is a uh, entertainment all those adjectives you want to use, yes, it's all of those things. Predetermined, finishes, yes, all that. Um, but the one thing about it is there's acting and then there's shitty acting. And nobody wants to see shitty acting just because everybody in the audience knows it's a movie. Late to the Nitro Party writes in, who was a more prolific drinker, Barry Windham, Steve Austin, or Ric Flair? Number one, Rick can't drink at all. He would have a couple of cocktails and he'd be throwing them over his shoulder, those triple shot kamikazes. He just liked to get everybody else tore up so he could laugh at them. Steve Austin's a pretty fair hand on those cold beers. I think he drank <laughs> Budweiser. Pretty yeah. fair hand is the funniest description for a drinker I've ever heard. I love it. Yes. Well, he earned it, but... Barry Windham is the champ. He could drink more and longer than anybody I've ever seen. Wow. He, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it's like Barry never went to the gym a, a day in his life, but could go out there and superplex animal off the top rope, go over the top rope like Brad Armstrong, run the ropes like Brad Armstrong. I mean, Barry was the all-around cowboy. 
and he could drink booze from 11 at night till five in the morning. His demeanor never changed. His pace never changed. Just, just. Mm. I got I to gotta say this. I've, I've not seen this in action. Brennan wants to know who has the best spine buster in wrestling today. On the right day, me. It's my move. <laughs> I came. I came up with it. Wait, is that but for I real? Know. You invented the spine buster, as far as you know. Yes, I did. No, it's not as far as I know. I know I did. Wow. And 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 the gourd buster, which I didn't use very often, but occasionally. Um, and everybody asks how, or or not everybody. A lot of people would like to know how I came up with it. <clears throat> One day. We're going to match guy fought back, bang, 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 hit the ropes. And as he came off, I just dipped down, caught him in a bear hug. And as I picked him up and I had him, he, his legs were wrapped around me. It was perfect spine buster position. It just popped into my head. Okay. I need a transition from here to move on. <clears throat> so what if I just kind of pivoted and dropped this guy on his back and landed on top of him? That's how it was born. It originated out of a bear hug. That's amazing. So when you first started, you told the story before that your first sort of finishing maneuver was the gourd buster, but then eventually you transitioned to more of the spine buster and DDT. Why the change? Why did you decide that the spine buster and DDT were perhaps better finishers than the gourd buster? I think, which it wasn't, but I think it looked a little bit dangerous, the gourd buster. It, uh, it might've had a lot of people being tentative about taking it and you didn't want anybody to worry about your finish because ultimately if they were, they'd try to protect themselves and it wouldn't look like it needed to look. Spine buster was nice and flat on the drop. It had some impact to it, but I could get to it out of anywhere. All I needed was a guy charging me or whatever, and I could catch it out of, in, out of anywhere. Made it more favorable, and, and I just liked the DDT because the way it looked and looked vicious. Looked like you were driving a guy's head completely through the mat to the floor when done right. Let's talk about uh, Lex Luger. We've heard this story from Tony Schiavone. Charlie Thrower is a listener to this show and clearly listens to Tony's podcast. He says, Please tell us about Luger having his shrimp peeled for him at the bar. I don't know what bar they were at. Supposedly Tony Schiavone went to a bar with the horseman once and Lex Luger wore a sleeveless shirt that day to the bar and decided after he got out of the car, he needed to oil his arms up before he went inside. And then he posted up near the bar, ordered some shrimp and then paid the bartender to peel the shrimp for him because he didn't want quote unquote stinky fingers. And I thought this was one of the funniest Lex Luger stories I'd ever heard. You got anything that can compete with that as far as a uh, funny Lex Luger story? Well, for sure. He wasn't drinking. If uh, he was eating shrimp with oiled up arms, it just doesn't seem like the thing to be doing. (laughs) Uh, I'm certain that if I would have seen that, and I wasn't drinking much, I would have kicked it in because that would have horrified me. Um, I don't know. I was just always one of those guys that I would drink till I was done drinking and then I would eat. So that whole rationale doesn't work for me. Once I eat, I'm tired. I'm ready to get a nap. So whatever night this was that Tony was with us, I must have not been in the area or in the bar that night. Cause I do not recall that. Adam B writes in is Arn short for Arnold. No. Arn is a Norwegian name that only came up with for me when I went to Atlanta to be partners with Matt Bourne and managed by Paul Ellering. Only came up with that name himself. Don't know from where. It's probably as good as Oli. I don't know. One syllable. What the hell? But it's not short for anything. 
the real coyote writes in who had the worst reputation of potatoing other wrestlers or hard weighing them to the point that competition never wanted to work with them. I don't think Vader was a favorite with the, uh, enhancement talent that was there or the regular crew of guys. Um, I would imagine the road warriors when they first started would have their detractors. Uh, they were big, strong, solid folks and, uh, green when they first started. Um, those come to mind. I think, uh, Haku and he and I are best friends to this day. We don't speak all the time, but I think the world of the guy, all he had to do was chop you one time. It was like a cement block hitting you in the chest. And he loved me. So I can't figure it out. What he did to guys he didn't like, I don't even want to think about. But he would lace you with that chop. Um, that's the three that probably come to mind right away. Uh, this is a question we got a lot and you and I've never talked about this. Chris Colley writes in is Arn Anderson aware of who Daniel Tosh is. And does he know about all the call outs on the comedy central show? Tosh point oh. totally aware of it. <clears throat> Either my son who's 22 saw it or his buddies saw it and told him about it. Um, Every time I do a signing, no matter where it is, a star cast or whatever it may be, at least 10 people will ask me in the course of a couple, three hours, what's the deal with this Daniel Tosh trashing you all the time on his show? Only thing I can figure is he's a huge wrestling fan. That's his way of uh, probably getting the wrestling fans' attention. And for the longest time, I was – signed to a particular company, whether it was WCW or WWE, and I was not allowed to do any outside stuff. Let me just put this out there. I'm no longer signed to anybody. I can do anything I want. So if Daniel wants to upgrade and update the popping off, there may be a reckoning coming. If, if you think you can, uh, Find your way to LA and spine buster the shit out of Daniel Tosh. I will make, I will hang up right now and make that happen if you're in. Cause as a long time listener or, or, or viewer of Tosh.0, I'm ready for it. I didn't know that WWE was putting the kibosh on it, but I'm for it. Well, I, I never asked because I knew, I knew the answer. You know, they wouldn't let us do anything. So first, are we talking first class? Of course. I mean, that's all we would have you do, right? Not a coach, man. You know that. Book it. Now, when I choose to shoe up or show up, when I say shoe up. Well, you're going to shoe up in his ass. That's where I was hitting. Nice pickup. <laughs> when I show up will be at my own discretion. So it's not like he can plan for it. Man, I can't wait till you're on TMZ for doing a run in on some backlot brawl, like the real backlot brawl, not that gold dust Roddy Piper shit. This is going to be awesome. Um, Ross wants to know everyone in wrestling does a Jim Cornette impression. Does Arn? I do not. I do not. And I'm a fan of Jim's. I do not do a Jim Cornette impression. Sorry. Um, the great John Dean has a famous Jim Cornette quote. He wants to mention here when Jim Cornette cut his famous Ronnie Garvin's face went up like the challenger promo. What was your reaction in the back? What was he referring to? He's probably talking about his title run and how that title run went up like the challenger. Ah, so he's saying it was a failure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the, uh, that's the impression that he's trying to give. Did he say that on air? Yes. On TBS. Was Ronnie Garvin in the state when he said it? <laughs> I don't know, but, uh, we'll have to ask him about it. Ronnie Garvin too, believe it or not, is going to be a star cast. I can't believe that's a real thing. 
Now, that's a guy that beat the piss out of me on more than one occasion and stretched me just using just his feet. Really? Really. I wouldn't say that if it wasn't true. Ronnie Garvin was a nasty, nasty prick in the ring. Loved working with him because he made the audience believe. He damn sure made his opponents believe. He would uh, beat the crap out of you, stretch you and sugar you and all those old-timer things. But at the end of the day, at the end of the 20 minutes, you had had a good match. You had had a good fight. Now, if you didn't fight him back, he would eat you up. But that's on you. That ain't on him. Had a lot of nice matches with Ronnie, but, brother, he double tough. I imagine he still is double tough. Let's talk a little bit about um... – Rick Flair and Eric Bischoff, Scott H writes in, uh, Conrad, will you ask Aaron about his side of what happened with Bischoff and Flair during their backstage altercation? You spoke to both Bischoff and Flair on the record before, but Arn was the only other person I know of in the room. I'd like to hear his side of it. Well, I was, um, set up number one. I did not know anything about it. All I know is walking down the hall was Jonathan Coachman and Rick at a pretty brisk pace, and I was asked or told, Arn, come with me. I don't know. I had no idea. This was like during the middle of the day. And uh, so I just fell in line and, and went with them, and apparently – Eric was in a dressing room or somewhere by himself. We came in the room. Door was shut. Rick got into a uh, verbal altercation, and then it became physical. And I then I realized what was happening, and I immediately left the room because I could see it wasn't going to get too out of hand violent by the way it was starting. Okay. Um, and I left the room, uh, cause I think the idea was I was going to be there to hold the door. Well, not happening. It's a shitty thing to do. It's not going to be a part of that. So I left the room. I was, uh, right in the fact that nobody got seriously hurt. It didn't escalate into anything that, that bad, but it was Rick getting it out of his system, I guess, for heat they had had in the past. I don't know. But uh, I was summoned into Vince's office uh, later. And had I known about that willingly, I would have got fired that day. But I did not know. And uh, I wasn't a part of it. I was part of the planning. I was a part of the participation that's all I can tell you. After I left the room, I don't know exactly what happened. I got a second rate account from, from coach and, uh, that's what happened as far as me being involved in it. Bischoff has said over the years that, uh, of this altercation, when Rick comes at him, he's strangely enough throwing working punches. Do you remember that? Oh, being I, the can, case? I can, ble- I can believe that. And Eric was sitting down. I think he was reading the paper or something. What's Rick is uh, Rick is notorious for uh, throwing working punches. In real life situations, he would throw a working punch just out of habit. Yeah, I guess so. Yes, that's hilarious. What else could it? What What else could it be? I don't know. Oh, well, I guess I'm safe. Well, if I ever piss his daughter well, off, I'll just. Take a couple. I'll just sell the working punches and I'll be good. Well, he's your father-in-law. Why don't you know? <laughs> well, he's given me real chops, but, uh, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever gotten a working punch. I may have once before, but can't you like pull him, pull him aside and sit down on that palatial couch you got in one of your, <laughs> one of your rooms and say, look, Hey pops, you're going to ever whack anybody or not. Okay. We'll, we'll think about that for uh Starcast five or something. Hey, vitamin J wants to know, based on a comment that Arn once made to Mr. Tony Schiavone, exactly how much do you need to shampoo a water Buffalo? 
<laughs> so is that stooge is at it again, is he? And that stooge is at it again. Some of our listeners may not be familiar with the story. I understand you might want to clean up a word or two here or there, but you want to share the, uh, the famous Tony Schiavone shampoo story. No, I can't. There's no way, no way to, no way to fix it. It's all or none. That's hilarious. Well, the, uh, the, the simple version of the story is Tony Schiavone has a lot of children and once upon a time, Mr. Anderson suggested that, uh, if he really wanted to, without any help, uh, he could, uh, he could shampoo water Buffalo and you can sort of read between the lines from there. Um, yeah, he's got 11 kids. What was I supposed to deduce? Yeah. I mean, in, fa- in fairness, that's true. When I went to, uh, his daughter's wedding, I got to meet the whole family and it was like, it was like after a baseball game in little league where everybody lines up and goes through tagging hands. Good game. Good game. Good game. Good game. That's what it's like to get through the Shivani household. So that we cannot be crass here, but get our point across. I think it's fair to say Tony has probably got a men a bucket full of nuts. <laughs> um, your great close personal friend, uh, Richard once said that, um, JJ Dillon had a nickname, Johnny bench. Do you want to explain that? No, I can't explain it. <laughs> That's so good. The the skinny three-legged guy and J.J. Dillon having a phallic symbol conversation, Deborah included me. So they'll have to tell you. There you go. Uh, Brian Beaker, or Breaker, Breaker, we'll get it right, says, I heard a rumor that WWE wanted Arn to make an in-ring return around the same time that Finley came back to in-ring competition. Any truth to this? Was it, was it ever discussed even as a one-off? You know, I remember something about that, and um, it was a conversation with Hunter, I think, right after we first got there, um, that wanted to, you know, know if I could work some more. He, he, I guess he had a couple, you know, some ideas, and um, if I'm not mistaken, he, you know, he had had some stuff in the works in his mind and all that. And I don't think he had any idea that I hadn't not only been not cleared by my doctor, that I was never cleared to this day. I haven't been cleared. So everything that I do is at a risk, which is my own. And, uh, but, uh, it's like my doctor told me at the time, he said, are you don't understand because I tried to get cleared to do something with WCW while we were still there. He said, I will never clear you to wrestle because you're not clearable. It would be against my, how do you say that? Hippocratic? Is that it? Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, So I think that was, I remember that conversation, unless I dreamed it, it was between Hunter and I, and it was very short lived. And we figured out that wasn't possible. Uh, interesting question here from Brandon Higgins. This is old school. Do you consider action Mike Jackson to be the most underappreciated wrestler of your generation? I don't know if he's underappreciated. He's probably, uh, because the guys that work with him appreciate him because he's 70 and he can still have a great match which is I saw I was on a show with him not too long ago um, in Alabama, and I was just there doing a signing, and they were putting me in their their version of the Alabama Hall of Fame, which I was grateful to get that award as well. Um, but Mike was there. He was tanned. His, he hadn't changed his look very, very much. He didn't look like he had aged 35 years since I'd known him, that's for sure. And he went out and had a good match. And uh, I don't know who else could say that. Alex Prentice wants to know, how much fun did you have working for Jim Cornette and Smoky Mountain Wrestling? Your reveal under the blanket as Ricky and Robert's mystery partner was old school at its best. 
Oh, I loved it. Had the time of my life. It was it was when I was taking a break away from WCW, um, and uh, Cornette obviously his promo set it up perfectly. And I think it's one of those times that nobody knew, and the last person on earth they expected to be under there with all the fights and all the wars and all the angles we had done with the rock and roll express. I'm the last guy they thought would be under that sheet. And, uh, we had a blast. It was awesome. Uh, let's have a question here from ATM about the great Muda. What are your memories of working with Muda specifically your power hour match from January of 1990? Uh, clearly are. And that made quite the impression on ATM. The great Muda is one of those interesting figures in wrestling where we didn't see a ton of him in WCW. So there was always this mystique around him. And I guess there still is today. We got a huge reaction when we announced him for Starcast, and we wanted something different, something unique. And Moodle was definitely that in 89 and 90. What are your memories of working with him? Well, when I came back, um, from WWF at the time, Muda had been the television champion for a bit. And with Gary Hart, in those days, if you were a champion on, you know, uh, WCW television, or I would imagine Vince's television, um, you were big, made you a bigger star in Japan. So he was compiling credits and he was compiling good TV time, which was just going to benefit him when he went back to Japan. And the television title, he got to go out, as I explained earlier, and have enough time on every show and do all the stuff that he could do. And he was very, very good, smooth, as he could possibly be. Um, And Gary Hart was one of those situations that fit perfectly as his manager. And uh, they they were a good unit. And uh, I was fortunate enough that they put me over for that TV title, and I beat a guy that was red hot at the time and uh it helped me coming back it gave me some some uh credibility and right off the get-go it was put a little rocket on my ass well i know you were really tickled to be back in wcw especially when they broke out robocop a little later we got some questions about robocop what are your uh what are your memories of hearing that well guys for the next pay-per-view we're gonna do a tie-in with RoboCop. Pay me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Was I wasn't going to try to dissect and go into my infinite Rolodex of magic tricks and try to make anything special come from the RoboCop. What's, uh, what just was wasn't, wasn't happening. What are you more excited to, uh, work with RoboCop or Renegade? I could have probably had a decent match with RoboCop if I'd have tried. (laughs) And on that note, we're going to bring this week's uh, episode to an end. We hope you guys have enjoyed hashtag ask aren't anything. This was so much fun. I'm sure we'll do this again. This may actually become a regular part of our programming. I've had such fun with it today, but next week we're going to talk about a special night from 1998. Uh, this of course is going to be a special night in Greenville when Ric Flair returns to nitro. He had been uh, behind the scenes feuding with Eric Bischoff for the better part of the year. And, uh, that put you in a precarious position. We've heard from uh, Ric Flair about that. We've heard from Eric Bischoff. But you were sort of in the middle. And I don't know that anybody has really evaluated this before where you need a job and you work for WCW. So you work for Eric, but your best friend is on the sidelines. And these guys are really, really upset at each other to the point that Bischoff holds public meetings and says, he's going to sue your best friend in a personal bankruptcy, but you're still expected to do a job. You were really walking a tightrope for this year. Were you not? Absolutely. So we'll, we'll dig into that next week. And of course we'll talk about that fabulous promo. Uh, it's still one of the best moments I think in WCW history, just because it was in South Carolina, it's in horseman country. The emotion is real. He's just flying off the handle. Bischoff marches down a real moment in time. 
Is that one of your, you know, top wrestling memories just because of the emotion in the ring, or is it just another day at the office? Well, we got to bring Dean into the fold, right? Yep. That night, which was Dean Malenko was a technician. He was incredible and a good guy and a good friend. So there was that part of it. Like you said, the Greenville crowd was on fire. Um, I got to speak, which I enjoyed doing. And uh, there was a tremendous payoff at the end of it, bringing Brick back. I was a little anxious because uh, I didn't know what the finish was. I still didn't know how this thing was going to shake out. We'll find out next week right here on R and leave us a review. If you feel so inclined, follow us on social media at the Arn show and come see us Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to be in horseman country, Winston, Salem, North Carolina, right after the matches end at WrestleCade, you'll be able to see Arn and myself at the very first live show. Just go to arnshowlive.com. Pick up your tickets right now. You'll be glad you did. It's arnshowlive.com and join us in Winston-Salem at WrestleCade. In the meantime, we'll see you next Tuesday and every Tuesday right here on Westwood One. For Arn! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.